So welcome to our podcast on escaping the major projects echo chamber. Uh, I'm Andy Murray, the executive director of the Major Projects Association, and I'm joined by some of our speakers from the conference who are going to reflect on the key takeaways and discussions and conclusions from conference, as well as allow me to explore some additional uh, items that, that came from it. I'm joined by Richard Cordroy, managing director of the Oakland Group, Laura Doughty, client head of culture and sustainability at Sellafield, and Professor Harvey Mailer, senior fellow in management practice at Sai Business School. Welcome. What I'd like to do is just to give a bit of context uh, in terms of the topic of the, uh, the conference. So it was very much built on the previous year's conference, where we looked at the past 40 years of major projects, looked at uh, practices um, that we'd ceased doing that uh, we felt that needed to come back, if like rewilding of good practices from the past. Uh, and then we also looked at current practices where we felt they were no no longer fit for purpose because the, the need had changed. And this conference really built on that last item, recognising that the nature of major projects today is very different to how they've been uh, in the past. And if we simply keep refining our approaches, incrementally um, based upon our past successes and failures, um, then we're at risk of just solving past problems rather than tackling those of today and tomorrow. Harvey, I would just like to start with you, if I may. You kicked us off um, at the conference by explaining um, what an echo chamber is. So for the benefit of those who um, didn't join us or for those who haven't read the uh, highlights report, can you just uh, remind us or just give a quick overview, what is a, an echo chamber? Sure. Thanks, Andy. Um, one of the things we notice about the major projects world, and that's what started the, the conversation off, is that things are changing, but maybe not fast enough. And uh, in 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 industries where we see that change is, is absolutely fundamental, how do we explain that things are moving far more slowly than we might rationally expect? And so the, the notion that one of the devices, that one of the reasons that this is happening, change isn't happening at the speed we would expect, is that there are these things, echo chambers, which are um, holding things back. So we said that an echo chamber uh, is a social structure for a start, so that could be a work team, a group, um, or um, a, a, a bunch of people you get to with, together with on social media somehow or other, um, uh, that, that it's deliberate in its selection of who's in and who's not. And this is a really important piece. There's It's, it's then deliberately excluding uh, voices from outside. Uh, the uh, effect is that then uh, particular values, beliefs or practices become established within the group and the group doesn't like much challenge to them coming, particularly from those nasty outsiders. And so anybody who does challenge will then be actively discredited, which takes out the outsiders, but builds up those internally. And uh, lastly, that the, 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 the characteristic that, that you say, well, why do people become part of these? Well, sometimes it, it becomes a form of psychological safety that within the echo chamber, all is good. Nobody's disagreeing with me. Nobody's shouting at me. And those people outside, well, they're the ones who are wrong. Richard, um, I'd like to come to you next. Um, you, you had the task of, um, on a panel of, of um, contributing to the discussion around that getting the basics right it's not you know something we need to you know we need to challenge our thinking and and think of new paradigms but at the same time we can't overlook the fact that some of our poor performance is just because we're not getting the the basics right our report writers kindly captured things that you were saying and 
and they've written a quote, everyone can find the data that fits their point of view, but so often what's missing is the narrative that provides a genuine balanced assessment of what's really going on. Uh, I think really picking up from Harvey, one of the one of the striking bits of the conference for me was there was no dissent with the hypothesis that we live in echo chambers and generally they're negative. I didn't hear anyone actually push back at that, that not being a truism. Um, and then I didn't hear anyone push back at, yeah, that probably leads us down um, some places where we'd rather not go. Um, now I'm a data zealot. I believe in the power of it. I believe in all the things it can unlock, but I'm also a skeptic in that talking about data is a red herring. It's about what are the decisions we need to make and what are the, um, you know, processes to gather that information and then make good decisions on it. And, and, and I suppose my reflection post event is, you know, we can go and get the data we always measure and we can get it faster and bring it in and put it into an ever prettier picture and we'll just make the same decisions that we've always made quicker, faster and equally wrong. And actually it takes quite a bit of thinking about the system to go, well, what are the blind spots we have? Where do we get natural confirmation bias? Where do we pick out the things that, we, that we'd like to see? And actually it takes quite a bit of thinking about the system to go, well, what are the blind spots we have? Where do we get natural confirmation bias? Where do we pick out the things that, we, that we'd like to see? And where might we find counterpoints that would perhaps give us a better indication if you know we're going to deliver the project or the program but not deliver the outcome or we're leaving stakeholders behind or we're taking short-term decisions that actually are going to come back and bite us in year end downstream and actually getting the basics in my head and this is well let's let's find ways of measuring that uh and that might be you know a sensor on a system it might be having stakeholder groups that we really genuinely listen to and then presenting that in a way that actually structurally makes it hard for the project to overrule. We heard the NASA story, the sad NASA story that loads of people knew that one of the shuttles was going to fail and take off because it had been too cold and everyone still, despite knowing that, let it happen. But I do think if you bring that decision making into the heart, it's less likely to happen. And then, you know, I think that is basic decision making, basic measurement, basic reporting. And we don't have to, you know, we haven't mentioned AI or anything clever or any of that other stuff that gets talked about. This is really just how do we change the structural way we run our programs to probably not eliminate the echo chamber, because I think that's impossible, but actually recognize we're in one and find ways of alleviating the risks that that, that, that presents. I'm now joined by Andrea Powell partner at EY. I think some of the things that I thought were quite interesting were Karina's reflection that, you know, a question perhaps whether we are deliberately creating an echo chamber in government with some of the ways that uh, we are establishing our, our approach to project delivery, as well as that sense of, in some cases, we're trading our sort of psychological safety for being part of the echo chamber. And I think those mm -hmm. are some very interesting thoughts. Um, for me coming out of that but certainly i think we were unanimous at least in our agreement that there is a sense of an echo chamber and sort of these quite insular projects and insular kind of um industry groups and forums in some cases and we do need to look outside of that i would like to pick up on something that, that you said 
you know, quite early on in your sort of panel reflections. And that was that when major projects get going and they get their momentum, uh, in some cases, the, um, the, the commitment to the project means that you get this um, uh, groundswell of movement that the project must carry on and, and must succeed, even if perhaps the evidence and the data and the performance is showing that, that the best outcome might be to either stop the project, recast the project, or, 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 or perhaps just do that orderly close. I think there's this sort of thing that we need to do more of, which is think and then act. It's that sort of um, thinking fast and slow approach that Daniel Kahneman mm -hmm. has put forward. When we're discussing, you know, is it just about needing the basics or do we need something different to help us get out of that? My reflection was that the basics are necessary, but not enough on their own. Mm -hmm. And we know that our ability to influence project success is in those very early stages. And I think so much of what we're doing in those early stages is really kind of focusing on sort of what we're doing from an engineering or a technical solution and not necessarily so much about why we're doing it and the purpose and the kind of link to, um, you know, in particular, some of the great things like the model for the built environment, transforming infrastructure performance is set out. It's like, how do you create those links to those outcomes and kind of driving up to those SDGs? But um, equally thinking about how we're going to do it. And I thought, you know, moving to the Project 13 model that we saw in the afternoon of the conference uh, is certainly something we see a lot of kind of leading clients taking a different approach to how they're going to deliver. Starting to kind of triangulate all of this, but equally stepping outside of your project and think is what is your project's role in the whole system of the built environment that exists and how is it going to, you know, interact and impact and hopefully make more than the sum of its individual kind of benefits parts when it joins that system. We often hear, um, you know, the talk of thinking outside the box. But when I was listening to the panel, I was thinking it's more a case of not thinking outside the box, but listening outside your bubble. I like that concept of listening because I think, um, well, that's a skill of any leader, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, as it relates to sort of project success, one of the examples we talked about was Crossrail and mm -hmm. people sort of thinking about those warning signs were maybe there, but people, you know, people weren't sort of detecting them or didn't feel like they heard them or mm -hmm. couldn't speak up to shout them loud enough or whichever sort of way you want to look at it. So I think there is an element of even in the sort of later stage or delivery stage of a project, you know, being able to have that ear to the ground as to what's really happening. And part of that for me, I think, comes back to creating an environment of sort of um, inclusivity and psychological safety and transparency within the project team. But to your point and your question about sort of listening outside of the uh, bubble, as it were, I think it's, um, you know, creating the time and the space to go and understand and find some of those things that are outside, whether that's somebody that, you know, you might disagree with, somebody you might be competing mm -hmm. with, somebody that's in a completely different space. So I'm now going to turn to, to Laura uh, in terms of your experience at at Sellafield. Our report writers kindly captured something you said. What you said is that um, and when you've proven that the traditional way, the way you've always done it, doesn't work for you anymore, um, you have to look at new ways of doing things. But I think that really does need a, a bit of bravery. Um, and I just wonder if you want to perhaps share the experiences at, at Sellafield about how you went well, around 
confirm it to yourselves you needed to do it in a, in a new way but then there were lots of others you had to uh, persuade as well so how did that sort of bravery come about and and, uh, and how did you get it over the line our, our way of doing business wasn't working you know we weren't delivering um against any of the parameters that our stakeholders expected whether it's time quality cost you know that these we, we were we knew that it wasn't working and there were lots of reasons for that but you know but we did a diagnostic and we found that you know a lot of it was about being disjointed both within Sellafield with our supply chain um was the short-term thinking it was the not learning from project to project it was the lack of collaboration so we knew what wasn't working so we had a starter in terms of in terms of that and I guess with the bravery, because I guess most people, when they think of Sellafield, I think don't want to think of us as a risk-taking organisation. People <laughs> want to know that, you know, that safety, security, sustainability are fundamental. Um, so I guess if I think about what was brave, I think it was the fact that we took, you know, effectively four years to develop the model that we have now. So, you know, so effectively we spent a year on concept design, soft engagement, benchmarking, a year to build it, a year to procure it, and a year to secure the operations. So when you know it's not working, to take four years out to come up with a new way of working, you know, I think it would have been perhaps the, you know, the echo chamber was just just band-aid it, you know, do something mm. quickly. Um, but I think what's really important in that four years is that we went and we were really lucky. We met with lots of organisations like Heathrow, like Anglian, like McLaren, oil and gas. There is nothing in our model that is completely new. Um, everything in our model has been done by somebody else and tested. You know, we didn't want to be at the bleeding edge. What is new and what is potentially brave is the way we've put it together. And I think that the thing that, that certainly most people wanted to ask about at the at the conference was the, the fact that we've taken a 20 year approach and that our partners have signed up to contracts for 20 years, which I think um, both at the time we did it and now is, is, is still seen as unusual, certainly through the knowledge share sessions that we go to. Um, but it absolutely has worked for us. It does take that extra work. You do have to do more work around the construct and how it's going to work. And there's a whole range of things we can talk about if you want to about how we've made that 20 year model work. But it's certainly addressing so far from the benefits and the cost savings and the productivity gains we're making. It's certainly achieving that long term thinking is achieving what we wanted it to in the model four years in. So what I'd like to do now is um, perhaps just go around our virtual room um, and just ask sort of your uh, either top tips or key takeaways you know what, what have you taken away from conference uh, now you've had a time to reflect on some of the great conversations we had i think actually one of the things that that came out was and i think this is actually true over the last couple of years is actually the optimism in the room i think there's a genuine desire that you know major programs big capital particularly infrastructure doesn't always get kind of the best best look in society and a feeling that actually we are part of the solution and we need to do big bold things if the world is going to address the problems it has and really across the last couple of years the degree though that we need to change to make that a reality and I think people seem generally and well, certainly the people who come to these sort of conferences seem pretty pretty keen to lean into that and that's everything from you know recognizing that we we do have to do some basic stuff better, yes, um, and more consistently, and that hasn't gone away. Um, but we do have to recognise, you know, linear programming, hugely complicated systems that we are now engineering and all the rest of it um, requires perhaps a different mindset. And for me, you know, the echo chamber was a was a, is a thing in its own right, but also just talked to that different mindset that perhaps people are leaning into, and and how do we 
um, move then from that being a good intent and a very laudable aspiration to, well, actually, if we're going to address this, there are some hard things we need to start to think about how we change, particularly around how we set up projects and programs right at the outset. How do we commission and how do we make sure that we, you know, someone calls out when we're not actually talking about outcomes, we're talking about just stuff from the outset. Mm -hmm. How do we break through procurement rules that either directly or just through convention encourage us to do much shorter contracts as opposed to much longer contracts? And actually, sometimes the echo chamber in reverse, sometimes short might be the right, but at least let's have the right conversation to get there. Yeah, great. Yeah, that reminds me of the discussion we had around the uh, the balance between the desire for order um, and the need for chaos and how uh, it's often the chaos that drives some of our, our innovation. So, um, you know, I wonder if that's a, a topic for another seminar or another discussion uh, another time. So thanks. Thanks, Richard. So same question to you, Laura. Um, what were your key takeaways or points of reflection from conference? Perhaps historically, the Echo Chamber has been a little bit process driven and that process was the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I really felt heartened this time that I think we've moved beyond that now and we, we're starting to see a lot more about what is going to be the, the human um, the human element to this and, the, and, the, and the, the human voice in all of this, which I think is absolutely a positive step forward. Uh, thank you, Laura. So, uh, Harvey, um, same, same question. We'd start with there was general acceptance, which uh, was, was great to hear, or that these things echo chambers, number one, that they exist. Nobody crossed their arms and said, what are you talking about? And the recognition as well that these echo chambers are populated by people like us. You know, Richard mentioned confirmation bias there. Now, this is confirmation bias large um, and mm. applied at the group level. I think what I took was the huge amount of opportunity and activity that's going on. So likewise, absolutely heartened. And just to pick up the point about people, um, but part, and part of that is leader behaviour. And so what we're looking for is uh, is leaders, a new breed of leader, um, which are clearly in existence today. That was made clear through the, many of the cases we heard um, who are welcoming that steady stream of contrary evidence or counter arguments to, to challenge what's going on. They're, they're, that is actually designed and invited in and they're continually questioning, you know, is this contract, is this team, is this structure, uh, is the way we're working fit for purpose? And again, to hear that is just uh, really, really heartening. Now, they're not just pressing on regardless and, and hoping that the outcome this time will be different. So um, I'm, I, I, I left with a sense of, wow, we've got a group of people here who really want things to move on and now move on at a pace because some of the innovations we discussed had moved on really, really slowly. Um, the technology opportunities, the people opportunities, the um, approaches to work opportunities have not been progressed and tried at a, at a pace that would be consistent with 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 the the urgency of the need to improve performance in all of the areas that were represented at the conference. And I think now we've got we, we, there seems to be a critical mass uh, of people who are going strangely in the same direction. We just, of course, have to make sure that that itself doesn't become uh, its own exclusive self-reinforcing <laughs> uh, group and uh, we fall into something else uh, terrible instead.